Open with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2 today. Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing our series going through the book of Philippians together. And uh, contained uh, in these two little verses. We're going to only look at two verses today. Uh, now, you might be thinking, if you're new here, you think, wow, we're going to be out of here uh, quick. No, no, that's not how this goes. Uh, but anyway, we are only looking at two verses today. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And if you don't have a Bible this morning... Uh, I would encourage you to uh, either download the Bible app on your phone, or uh, if you need a Bible, one of our ushers will be happy to bring you a Bible if, if you lift up your hand, and uh, maybe your neighbor has a Bible and you can follow along uh, with them. But we're going to be looking at these verses, we're going to really be uh, diving into them, and so it'll be helpful if you have a copy of, of the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And as you find that, I just want to remind you about church tonight. Uh, we're, have, we're gathering tonight uh, for worship, and we're going to have a fantastic time. And that is at, what time do we have church on Sunday night? Six o'clock. Six o'clock tonight. We hope to have all of you back tonight. Uh, we have the kids in there with us, family-style service, and it's just a wonderful time together. Uh, we've been going through the book of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the heroes of our faith and how uh, the way they lived out their faith teaches us how we can live out our faith. Many of them went through hardship and difficulty in the times in which they, they lived, yet they were faithful to God. And, and by studying them and their life, we too can learn how we can live faithfully for the Lord. Tonight, we're looking at Noah, the life of Noah. And it's actually Pastor Mark who's going to be bringing the word tonight. So a special treat for everyone. So come on out tonight. And Sunday nights have just been incredibly rich. Have they not been rich? Amen. Amen. So God bless you, whoever clapped over there. God bless you. So Philippians chapter 2. And uh, why don't we stand this morning as we read this together, just these uh, two verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writing, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Father, speak to us through your word today. Lord, we want to hear from you. We've gathered here today as your people. Lord, you promised that you would be with us, that you would be in our midst where two or three are gathered in your name. Lord, so we know that your presence is here with us. We want to hear from you. We, we want you to, to open up our eyes to see what it is that, that you want us to see today. Lord, open up our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to live as your people. You've called us out of darkness. You've called us out of the world. Lord, we've celebrated that, that great truth this morning as we've sung about your goodness and we've sung about your greatness. We've sung about your salvation this morning. But Lord, we know that you don't do anything by accident. Lord, you, do, you only do things on purpose. So Lord, you've, you've called us for a purpose to live out your purpose in the world, to, to expand and to spread your kingdom, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, starting with us and starting in our lives and starting in our homes and our families and our communities. 
as we spend time in your word today, we pray that that would come into greater clarity what it is you have for each and every one of us. And we thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, contained in these two little verses today is one of the most important ideas for you to grasp as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, how you understand and apply these two little verses will determine whether you will live a frustrated Christian life or a fulfilled Christian life. You know, when we come to Christ, we don't try Jesus. Jesus is not one of many options we try in our life. It's not that our lives aren't going that well, so we think, well, I'll give Jesus a chance and, and see if, if he can do something with my life. No. If Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, we don't di just try Jesus. When we come to Christ, we submit our lives to him as our Savior and our Lord. And so for every Christian, the plan is that you will live for Christ every day of the rest of your life. Amen? It's not, oh, I'll try him for a little bit, and if, if, if it works out, then great, but if not, maybe I'll try something else. No! As a Christian, the plan is, I'm going to serve Christ every day for the rest of my life. Amen? And so then the question is, Will you find that following Jesus for the rest of your life? Will you find that frustrating, depressing, a chore, laborious? And we've all known Christians that were kind of in that state of life, haven't we? They didn't seem to love the Lord. They didn't seem to enjoy the Lord. They didn't seem to want anything to do about Jesus and about the church and about prayer and about the word. They, they have zero interest, yet they call themselves Christians. We, we don't want to be that, do we? But we want to have a fulfilled Christian life, fulfilled every single day, a, a life that's filled with, with joy, a life that is full of that life and life more abundantly that Jesus said that he came to bring. And so I, I truly believe that in these two little verses, verses 12 and 13, is the key and that if you understand this and rightly apply this, you will live a fulfilled Christian life. And if you don't, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find living for Christ to not be filled with joy, but rather to be filled. It will actually be a burden if you don't understand the truth in these verses. So uh, verse 12, it starts with, this word that we might not really pay much attention to, but I want to draw your attention to it this morning. It's the word, therefore. Therefore. Now, my grandma, Ruth Bell, who taught me the Bible since before I could speak, I learned the Bible at her knee. Uh, she was a phenomenal woman of God and instructed uh, me, my brothers, everybody who ever knew her in the word of God and the ways of God. And how many of you are thankful for godly grandmothers? Amen. 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 Uh, she taught me that when you see the word therefore, you need to look what it is there for. That was her great revelation uh, that she imparted. But for us to understand 
the rest, we, we have to know that he's talking in light of what he has already laid down. And so I want to draw your attention to a couple of things first before we can even move forward. We have to understand that it is because of what follows this is because of what came before it, this therefore. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is all the way back in verse 1 of chapter 1. Some of you thought we were finally done with chapter 1. No, here we go. We're back to chapter 1. Verse 1, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So who is Paul writing to? To the saints. He's writing to believers. It's so important that we understand this as we move forward through this, that this applies only to believers in Jesus Christ. This applies only to people who have put their faith in Christ. This applies only to people who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who have been filled by the Spirit of God. So that's the first therefore that I want to draw your attention to. That's, that's at the beginning. But then let's look at the immediate context. What we've been looking at for the last several weeks as Paul described the gospel message first starting with Christ in heaven. Who is Jesus? We looked at that a few weeks ago. Who is Jesus? Well, Paul says that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In verse 6 of chapter 2, Jesus existed for all eternity, from eternity past, in the form of God. But that he made himself nothing, that he humbled himself, that, that he came and he took on human flesh, that he added to his divinity, humanity. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And that Jesus lived a life without sin, that he died on the cross, he says, to redeem sinful humanity. And that God raised him from the dead on the third day. That through the gospel, Jesus has defeated Satan. He has defeated sin. And he has defeated even death. Jesus is not rotting in a tomb somewhere. Jesus, in fact, is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the immediate context. That is exactly what comes right before this passage. And he concluded, Paul concluded that, that gospel truth of, of Christ descending through humility and Christ ascending in victory with the fact that there's coming a day that all of human history is moving towards one day when Jesus Christ will return and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So with all of that in mind, Paul says, therefore, therefore, with that knowledge, knowing that all of human history, human history is not some accident. Human history is God playing and, 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 and orchestrating his plan and playing it out through the lives of men. Human history is not an accident. Human history is not a, a, just a cycle. Human history is God's story. It is his story. And it's going to a place. He is directing all of human history to, to a conclusion, to a crescendo, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. And so with that knowledge, with that understanding, he says, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I can't overstate the importance of this little word, therefore, because a lot of people think that Christianity is a list of morals. They think it's a list of do's and don'ts. But Christianity is not a list of morals. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is primarily, first and foremost, therefore, because of what God has done, because of the work of Christ, because of who he is, because of his uh, descending, because of his humility, because of his work of salvation, because of his obedience to the Father, because of his victorious resurrection, because of him putting to death, death and sin and Satan and bringing every enemy under his feet, because of that, we live in response to that. Christianity is a therefore idea. All of the imperatives, all of the commandments are in light of the indicatives, are in light of the cross. Everything we do as believers is in response to what he did. It is this little word, therefore, that we see in it the clear and distinct difference between the religions of men and the gospel of Christ. There is a very distinct difference between every other single religion of man and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Religion says, do these things and God will love you. But the gospel says, God loves you in spite of what you've done. It's religion that says you can climb up to God. But it's the gospel that says God has come down to us. Religion says be good. But the gospel says there's only one who is good. And that is God alone. Religion teaches salvation through your works. But the gospel teaches us salvation through Jesus' work on the cross. Religion offers no assurance of salvation. But the gospel offers to us full assurance of salvation and a secure eternity. Religion says work for your salvation. The gospel says rest in your salvation. Religion says do, but the gospel says done. With religion, my work is never finished. But on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. Amen. The gospel of Christ is not one of many different religions. In fact, the gospel truly is the anti-religion. It is the opposite of religion. And because of that, it is good news. It is good news. Therefore, in light of what Christ has done, in light of who he is, in light of where he is seated right now, in light of where all of human history is heading, in light of these things, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.
All right, I finished the first word, therefore. I want to draw your attention to another little word here. It's the word out. Out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice here he doesn't say to work for your salvation. You see, every other religion teaches you how to work for your salvation. Paul here doesn't say work for your salvation. He says to work out your own salvation. We don't earn salvation. We don't earn our right standing before God. It is all of grace bestowed upon us as unmerited favor. We don't clean ourselves up to God. He takes us just as we are, sinful, broken, burdened. But he takes us and he saves us and we receive his free gift of salvation through faith by trusting in his work, not our own works, but the work that he did for us. We trust it, we believe it, we receive it in faith. When the, Bible, the Bible says, Jesus says, when that happens, we are born again, born again by the Spirit of God. That there is a new birth that takes place inside of us. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But that God has made us alive in Christ. Spiritually dead because of sin. But now alive because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because of the work of Christ. The saving work of Christ. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We're set free of sin. Set free of the power of sin. Sin, to, for the believer, sin has no power in your life. We've been set free by Jesus. And we are filled with God's power. With the same power that he used when he raised Christ from the dead. That is the power that it's alive and working inside of each one of us. This is something that happens on the inside. This is something that happens internally. This is not something that happens primarily on the outside. When you come to faith in Christ, you, you pass from death to life. You, you're born again by the Spirit of God. But you don't look different on the outside. You don't lose 20 pounds. Your gray hair doesn't go away, right? I mean, you, you, you kind of look the same way you did. But you're completely and totally new on the inside. There's been a fundamental change. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the old man is gone and the new man has come. That the old things have passed away. But now there is new spiritual life on the inside of each one of us. It's something that happens internally. And what Paul says is to take what has happened on the inside, your salvation, and to work it out, to let it out, to manifest that change that has happened. Your salvation, that he, ha that he has done for you, we must work it out. We must live it out. We must 
let it out. We must walk it out, our own Christian life. I want to look at the word work, work out, work out your own salvation. Uh, there's, there's kind of this idea going around that I come to Christ and then, you know, he's done the work for me. He declared it is finished. And so now I just sit back and coast and, and just kind of cruise on into glory. And, and there's no more work. There's no more striving. There's no more effort anymore. Well, no. He says that we must work out our salvation. It's not that I'm working for my salvation, but I must work it out. Salvation has been accomplished for you. Now you work it out. You, you live in the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. Sanctification, that's what we're talking about here today. Sanctification can only follow justification, being declared righteous, being made right with God. I, I cannot live a holy life unto the Lord if I don't know the Lord, if I haven't been born again by the Spirit of God, if I'm not filled with the Spirit of God. But just because justification requires no effort on my part, it does not mean that sanctification doesn't require effort. In fact, he says we must work at our own sanctification. And so this means that there is no coasting in the Christian life. None. Zero. If you put your spiritual life in neutral you will, you will head in the wrong direction. Because of the world that we live in, a fallen and broken and sinful and wicked world, if you just put your spiritual life in neutral, you're, you're going to just be sucked back into the ways of the world, the thinking of the world. No, we have to put our Christian life in gear. There's no coasting in the Christian life. There is... No downhills in the Christian life. Just because we're saved and we rest in the finished work, it doesn't mean we just coast from here into heaven. No, we have some work to do. Work is not a bad thing, by the way. I have to say that in 2022. Work is not a bad thing. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created the world and he created Adam, he put Adam in the garden before sin ever entered into the world. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So before, we were, before sin even entered into the world, there was some work to do. There was some work to do. And so even as we're born again by the Spirit of God, we still have some work to do. And the work that he's talking about here, working out our salvation, he's talking about sanctification. And what that is, is putting sin to death in our own lives. And that takes work. That takes effort. It is work to put sin to death in our lives. To put pride to death. To put anger to death, to put gossip to death, to put lust to death, to put covetousness to death. The world in which we live stirs up all of these things constantly. The world elevates and, and puts, as a, puts forward as a virtue anger and pride and gossip and lust and coveting, wanting what somebody else has. 
In fact, there's a whole entire political persuasion designed to taking what other people have and giving it to other people. That's covetousness. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's work to put these things to death in our lives. It's not easy. But he goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to draw your attention to verse, the beginning of verse 13. The word for. I know we're looking at the most basic and elementary words today. But these are the words that people tend to skip over. And then they miss the whole point. For. This is so important, this little word for. Why do we work out our own salvation? Why can we work it out? For, because it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What makes verse 12 possible, what makes it possible for us to work out our own salvation is the fact that God is working in us. We cannot put sin to death in our lives, in our own strength, in our own power, simply by gritting our teeth and trying as hard as we can. We cannot do it in our own strength, but we don't have to do it in our own strength because it is truly God who is working in us. We can work it out because it is God who is working in, who works in us. For it is God who works in you. This word works here is the Greek word energeo. It's where we get our word energy from. What he's saying is that every believer is filled with the spirit of God and has the energy of God alive on the inside of them. The power of God alive on the inside of them. The, again, the same power that raised Christ from the dead alive on the inside of you. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that that power is immeasurable. Immeasurable power. We're not talking about just a little bit of, of God's power. No, we're talking about the full expression of God's power alive on the inside of every believer. And you must understand, believer, that you have that power. You have that power through the Holy Spirit. And so do not, do not settle in your walk with the Lord for living a life of defeat. Do not settle for living a life of bondage to sin. Because you have been set free from sin by the work of the cross and you have been filled with the Spirit of God, the power of God, to live a life of victory over sin. The enemy, the, the only way he can have a foothold in your life is through lies and deception. Through causing you to believe that you don't have the power of uh, God on the inside of you, that you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, that you uh, have not been set free of sin, or he'll come and even begin to have you question your own salvation. Am I even saved? Am I even born again? The only way he can keep us bound in sin is through lies and deception. That's it. 
And so you must renew your mind with the truth of God's word. You must take this truth and appropriate it for yourself. You must believe that you have been set free of sin. You must believe that God is alive and working on the inside of you. And if that is true, then anything is possible. If, if God is alive on the inside of you, there, there is no sin. There, there is no plan of the enemy. There is no devil that can have victory over you. If you're a child of God, filled with the Spirit of God. But he loves to lie to us, doesn't he? he? He loves to get us to believe, well, I've always been this way. I'll always be this way. Well, this is how my dad was. This is how my, my granddad was. This is what we've always struggled with. And this is what I will always struggle with. Listen, when you come to Christ, you have a new father. It's your father, God, who is in heaven. You're filled with a new nature. It's his nature. And you're filled with a new power. It's his power. You must believe this. It is God who is working in you. This is why we can work out our salvation. This is why we can have confidence that we can put sin to death in our lives. Because God's energy, God's life, God's strength, God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And this should blow our minds. This should humble us. This should amaze us that the God of the universe, the God who speaks creation into existence, that he would make me his son, his daughter, that he would fill me, my body, my lowly temple with his spirit, that he would give me his power. It's our job to work out what God is constantly working in. He is working it in us. We must work it out. It takes active commitment and personal effort. Earlier in verse 12, Paul says that we must obey Christ. He talks to the Philippians. He said, you, you obeyed the Lord while I was there with you. But now that I'm gone, can, can you obey him when I'm gone? Can you obey him when nobody else is watching? It's easy to live for the Lord on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., amen? But, but what, about, what about when we leave here? What about when we're in our, in our families? What, what about when we're at home? What about when no one is watching? We must obey him. And to work out our salvation, realizing that it will take effort, it will take work, it will take commitment, but also realizing that the power to obey God comes from God himself. Amen. That this power to obey, this power to work it out, we, we don't generate it in and of ourselves. And if we had to do it, we couldn't do it. But as we trust in him, as we look to him, as we ask him for his strength and his power, we can live a life of victory. He says that God is working in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in your will. That is that God will even give you the right desires. When you woke up this morning and you said, I'm going to church, I'm going to worship the Lord today, I'm gathering with God's people today, that desire to do that, that didn't come from you. That didn't come from your flesh. If you wanted to come and gather here today with God's people, you can rest assured that God put that desire in your heart. How can I know that God is working in me? Did you want to come to church today? If you didn't want to come, that's your flesh. That's your flesh. But God used some other means of grace to get you here today. I don't know how he did. But it says that God is even working in our desires. One of my favorite Proverbs is that if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's another proverb that says that he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean, well, I'll serve God and he'll give me Lambos, Lamborghinis. No, it means when I serve the Lord, even my desires begin to change. The things that I want begin to change. He gives me the desires of my heart. This is what it means to live according to God's will. This is what it means to pray God's will. This is what it means when, when Jesus says, ask anything of me or ask anything of the Father in my name and it will be done for you. Well, what does that mean in Jesus' name? It means according to his will, his nature, his character, and his purpose. But too often we ask for things that are out of alignment with that. Even though we say at the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name, we just concluded a whole prayer in our name. What we want, what we desire. That he will give us the desires of our heart. That he will put into us and help us to want the right things. To desire the right things. So he's, he's working in our wills and in our work. He not only gives us the desire, he gives us the ability, the power to carry it out. So we work because God is giving us his strength and his power. But we still must work. We still must put forward the effort. We, we can't just lay in bed on Sunday morning and think that we'll somehow magically just show up in church. No, we got to set the alarm. We got to get out of bed. We got to brush the teeth. We, we put in the effort. But it's God who is enabling it all. It's God who's giving the strength at all. God is working in it and through it and in all of it. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he gave this example of a Christian praying. And I want to quote uh, from uh, Amir Christianity this morning, this paragraph. It, it, it beautifully illustrates what this passage is talking about. He says, take for example an ordinary, simple Christian who kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get into touch with God. But if he is a Christian, he knows that it, what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside of him. But he also knows that all of his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, Amen. the man who was God. 
That is, Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, even interceding for him as he prays. He says, do you see what is happening? God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside of him which is pushing him, giving him the motive to pray. And God is also the road or the bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. The, the whole of the Christian life found here in his description of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Spirit alive inside of us, Christ working through us, living for the glory of the Father, living to obey the Lord. It, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Jesus. We have to put forward the effort. We, we get down on our knees. We we pray, we, we choose to worship God, we choose to obey, we, we put forward the effort and the work. But when we do, what we find is that it's God who's working through us. That we don't get any of the credit, we can't take any of the glory. That it is truly God who is empowering that work. Why does God do it this way? Why doesn't God just do it all for us? Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if you just came to Christ and you were born again and all of a sudden you never had to deal with pride anymore? All of a sudden you were never greedy, you were always generous. All of a sudden you never thought about yourself first, you only ever thought about others. All of a sudden you never coveted anything. All of a sudden you... You never had a lustful thought. Wouldn't that be amazing? Could God do that? Well, he could. So why doesn't he do it that way? Why doesn't he? He could. He's God. He's sovereign. The best way I can think to illustrate this is me playing basketball with my kids. The Bible tells us that God is our father and we are his children. And I could go out to play basketball with my kids and I could in fact say, hey, let's go make a hundred baskets. I've got little kids, they're not very good yet at making baskets. I could say, let's go make, let's go shoot a hundred baskets. And I could leave them all sitting on the couch and then I could go and shoot a hundred baskets. Would that do them any good whatsoever? No. But instead, what do I do? I take them out there. I don't just throw them the ball and say, all right, Charity, four years old, make 100 baskets. She would die before she ever made 100 baskets. She can't do it. She doesn't have the strength. She doesn't have the power. But what do I do? I put the little ball in her hand. I lift her up. She tries her best to throw it, and I kind of throw her and... She totally misses it, and then I grab it, and I put it in. And then we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And then pretty soon, she's like Asher now, who can, he can make a few baskets on his own. I'm proud of my six-year-old son. He can make a basket. Judah, my nine-year-old, man, you ought to see him now. Just draining shot after shot. Listen, I, I could do it all for them but it would be of no benefit to them. 
But as I go out and spend time with my kids, as we work on these things together, they learn about me, but they also learn how to do it themselves, how to become strong themselves, how to grow. It would do them no good for me to do it all for them. A parent who has a child that does everything for their child, they do their child no good. Their kids will be totally useless. Can't help themselves, can't help anybody. Certainly can't help you in the drive-thru. You've, you've experienced those kids before. Right? Like, if we do everything for our kids, we don't serve them in any way. If we do nothing for them, we don't serve them e- either. But we work together. We bring them into maturity. And this is why God has designed it this way. We put forward the effort, but he guarantees the result. We strive, we work, we, sometimes the painful process in our lives as we work out our salvation in God's power, as we do that, we ourselves get stronger. Sometimes it's a painful process putting sin to death in our lives. But as we do, guess what? We're able to turn around and help others do the exact same thing. God has worked in you. God is working in you, and we are working with God. Now, how does God do this? Well, he's given us really what theologians call the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. God works out, God works in us, and we work out our salvation through these ordinary means. Prayer, prayer, worship, taking the Lord's table together, receiving his word, reading his word, being part of a church community. When we do those things, when we devote time to prayer, when we devote time to worship, when we devote time to spending time with God and his word, when we devote time to taking the Lord's Supper together, and when we devote time to our church community, guess what begins to happen? God works. God works. And if we're going to work out our salvation, we must, we must take advantage of the means of grace that he's given us. It's not some silver bullet, you know, I can't give you some magic communion that'll make you never lust again. But as we come to the table week after week, repenting of, repenting of our sin, asking God to cleanse us, asking him for his power once again, through over the course of our lives, what we will find is that we are not living a frustrated Christian life, but that we are living that fulfilled Christian life and that his power is at work in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us Lord, help us to understand these great truths. Help us to understand that you have saved us, that you have set us free of sin. Help us to know how to work with you to put sin to death in our lives, to work out our salvation. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we do so in faith, believing that you have cleansed us. 
God, we don't come to receive forgiveness. We come to the table because you have forgiven us. And Lord, we ask for a renewed fellowship with you, that we would live for you, that we would work out our salvation, knowing that when we do, that it is you that is working in us and through us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.